Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, December 8th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, That chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also download an app from the App Store. Simply type in the words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app It contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate your doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, if you'd rather not call in live, You can send us an email. You can email me at tjh 
at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And if we get a comment or a question or feedback from you through an email, we'll address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so that you can listen back to the archives for the input or feedback. And the archives are just another resource that Michael and Jeannie maintain um, just to try and help people have better access to these tools and the support that, that may be needed in order to help use these tools more efficiently and effectively. We also have the website, mindshiftersacademy.org, where you can get other highlight shows from here and some other tools that I've been making available to people over the years about grief and loss, etc., and the forgiveness pattern and the a very brief five-step introductory, I call it the mental short version of the Reality Management Worksheet and other tools there. And that's available at mindshiftersacademy.org. So it's a Friday. It means last night we had our support group and we had another couple of powerful testimonials about the benefit of participation in the groups and the use of these tools. And we listened to a Guy Finley talk, which ended up, you know, giving um, lots to think about and actually beautifully mirrored what one of our testimonials from one of our participants was discussing, that she had actually done the very thing that Guy Finley was so strongly recommending in his talk last night. And it was a beautiful overlay to be able to say, so here's a real-life example of what Guy Finley's talking about when he says, don't let fear drive the bus. Don't let your your, your actions be determined by fear. Let yourself understand that fear is a warning sign that something's off in your perception and that you're not actively presently aware in the moment. You're somewhere off in space and time in the past or in the future and you're generating these negative emotions when they're not they're not necessary and they're not going to be productive or useful. So we have plenty of time for comments and questions. Um, We finished our second read-through of the Way of Mastery third lesson earlier this week. And I'm prepared to read on into lesson four for the first time in this series, if no one has a comment or a question. And... Lesson four was one of the more challenging, lesson four and lesson five were two of the more challenging lessons for me. I probably had to read each of them 
more than a dozen times before it really started to make sense to me because lesson four is talking about an energy, an energy that is so subtle that most of us do not perceive it. We do not tune into it. And... um, And in this work, it's connected with the word desire. And so a lot of us have this familiarity with the word desire and a lot of emotional baggage attached to desire. And and we have it connected to definitions that better suit words like craving or obsession. So in this work, just before we get into it I just want to plant the seed that whatever it is that you have been associating with the word desire in the past from whatever culture whatever language it's probably not the same as what they're alluding to or using it to describe in this chapter in this lesson so if you can cancel the urge to pair the word desire with your previous meanings. If you can walk into this lesson, as we've been asked to from the promise at the beginning of this work, put away everything we think we know. Put aside everything we think we need or want as as a precursor to getting the most benefits from this teaching or from our day-to-day life experience. And that's a really good thing to start with right here as we begin reading Lesson 4 in the Way of Mastery. Whatever you think you know about the, the word desire, cancel it, put it down, let it go. And the text reads, well, the, the title of this lesson, they've given it the title, Following the Thread of Desire. And the text reads, It is with great joy that I walk with you on the way that you have chosen. And there's that word again, chosen. I know I've talked about this before, but I was giving a a talk about the first three or four lessons in the way of mastery. They asked me to summarize in one short talk in front of a, a church group in 20 minutes maximum for a sermon, summarize the first three lessons in the way of mastery. So I was thinking, well, you know, what kind of a theme could I use? And how about the theme of choice? And I thought, oh, I've got a lot of work to try and figure out where they mentioned choice and choosing. And then I remembered I had the book on Kindle. So I did a word search through Kindle and was blown away by how many times the word choice, choose, chosen appears in just the first in the first 12 lessons, which is the book that was called The Way of the Heart. It's just, it was it was astounding. I forget what the number is now, but it was probably close to 100 different uses of the word choice, choose, chosen, because it's the primary focus of this work, right? The, the, the initial axiom they give on the fifth page in this work says you know um, 
we want to wake you up to the fact that nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. That's the first axiom. This whole work is designed to help us wake up to how we ch- how we create our experience by choosing the focus of our conscious awareness, by choosing the interpretations we place on things. So here they remind us of that in the first line of the fourth lesson. It is with great joy that I walk with you. Where are we walking? We're walking on the way you have chosen. For in truth, there is not a time that I am not with you. There is not a place in which you can journey where you will not discover my presence. Only reality, Dr. Michael Rice would use the term, actuality can be true. And actuality or reality is simple. There is but the simplicity of love. From that ocean of love, there is birthed a multitude of forms, a multitude of worlds, a multitude of creations, of which you are one. Like waves arising from the sea, those creations remain linked eternally to their creator. There is no separation between you and the forces that created you. You remain as you were created to be, and that's never going to change. The text goes on and says, You are a wave arising from the infinite ocean of love that is the presence of God or of creation or of the Creator. I am a wave that has arisen from the ocean of my Father's holy mind. And even though two waves seem to appear separated by what is called time, by even 2,000 of your years, when it is seen from a much broader perspective, those waves have arisen simultaneously from the ocean's surface. They arise for the very same purpose. They arise to express the simplicity, the innocence, the beauty, the creativity, the truth, and the reality, the actuality of the ocean itself. The reason you're here is to extend love in form. The reason you are here is to be the effect of your creator's energy, blessing all of creation. As I read that paragraph and it talks about how you might appear to be separated by time, I remember that's one of the biggest themes in Guy Finley's talk from last night. He's talking about this deep spiritual, practical, physical truth that time is a creation of thought. And that when we start thinking about time in terms of past and future, we distance ourselves from the truth of what's happening in this moment. And again, here it is in in this work. The idea of time is just an appearance. In actuality, there is only the present moment. And if two waves, 
two sparks of the consciousness, two souls have arisen, they are arising simultaneously. And here it says, we are arising, we are here, we've become conscious, we are expressing in form for the only purpose of expressing the simplicity, innocence, beauty, creativity, truth, and reality of creation itself, of the ocean from which we've arisen. The text goes on and says, the waves, you and I, each of us as souls, delight in expressing what seems to be a unique individuality. And yet, each wave carries the common thread of being made of the same substance. And each wave is truly governed by the same laws of creation. These waves, these sparks of consciousness, these souls, they know not the moment of their own arising. For only the depth of the ocean unseen can know the moment when it chooses to well up and to create the expression of the wave. The power that is not seen, but is hidden in the depth of the ocean, rises up and forms that wave, and it sustains it throughout the duration of its expression. It is from the depth of that ocean that it is decided when that wave shall return to the sea. Does that mean it disappears? Only from one perspective. In reality, the very substance that was made manifest truly has not known birth and death, but only expression. What if you were to consider yourself as a wave arising from the holy mind of the Creator, born of the Creator's infinite desire to expand herself? born of the Creator's infinite desire to express the infinite nature of love, capital L, love, and creativity. What if you begin to consider yourself as that? What if you began to realize that all you have called yourself is the effect of love? that you did not cause yourself to come into existence. Your existence is the effect of the love of the Creator expressing in form. Just try this out. I mean, this is the invitation in this work. Try to remember, please, to get the most benefit of this work, you've got to follow where these words point you have to you have to go there yourself you have to sit with the thought what if i'm not just this simple struggling human being who's batted around life and money and relationships and physical aches and pains for a few decades what if There's a deeper purpose, mission, expression, whatever phrase you want to use, that I can tap into and start aligning with, start focusing my mind energy on these things rather than 
the money that's in the bank and what so-and-so thinks about me and my aches and pains or when I said the phrase what so-and-so thinks about me, this was one of the things that was part of the testimonial last night is one of our group members had this deep realization that she was feeling stressed and pressured because she had this programmed belief about, I have to make sure people like me. And as one of the parts of her testimonial last night, she said, this work is life-changing. And I'm here to tell you that what changed her life was not her, this work. It's that she chose to change the focus of her awareness. She withdrew her the importance or the attachment of the identification with what other people are going to think about her. And she just said, this is not right for me. And I stopped my participation in that. And I shift my focus of my attention over to this other pattern of observation. And the transformation was life-changing. What if you as a spark of consciousness, as a person, as a soul, you describe yourself however you want. What if you were to consider yourself as this creation arising from this greater flow of creation? You might call it the ocean of consciousness. You might call it God. You might call it the creator. And what if you chose to interpret your reason for being here is to express the infinite nature of capital L love and creativity. Would that give you a different sense of experience, a different sense of purpose? This work is calling us to slow down and not just read these words quickly and move on, but what would that be like? How would I, if I actually believed that my purpose for being in a body and physically aware, consciously aware, was to focus on loving energy and extend it in every interaction with everything and every person, is that what you're already doing? Or is that a little bit different than what you've done most of your life? So the text goes on and says, you are the result of this, and you've arisen from the ocean of love. And isn't the wave made of the same substance as the sea itself? And are you not given infinite and perfect freedom? For just as your father perceives you, you are given the freedom to perceive yourself and all of the other waves around you. You might notice even the ocean itself. You have the choice to perceive it in any way you choose. You can actually choose the perception that 
this is a rat race and all that counts is how many toys you accumulate and how much money and all that really counts is whether or not you get vengeance for somebody that you believe has wronged you and if you make that choice that's what you experience and you're free to do that but here's another option says the text goes on and says the goal then of genuine spirituality and guy finley likes to say there is nothing more practical than true spirituality so the goal then of genuine spirituality in the way of mastery is to realign the quality of your perception so that it mirrors and resonates with and is in perfect alignment with the perception of your creator, of the creation itself. Another way to say that is to see with the eyes of the creation or the creator or to see through God's eyes. Abraham Hicks in several talks when it comes to this says, listen, what if you just chose to pretend that every time you have an anger or an upset or a hurt or a guilt or a shame or something and you think it's being caused by someone outside of you because you're looking at this other person, this brother or sister, what if you chose to pretend that the only reason you're feeling discomfort or internal turmoil is because the way you are interpreting what you're looking at when you see your brother or sister is different than what the Creator experiences when the Creator, when Source Energy itself perceives, experiences you and or your brother and sister. This is exactly the same message here. The goal of genuine spirituality is to realign the quality of your perception so that you begin to mirror the perception of creation. You begin to resonate with the perception of the creator. You begin to be in perfect alignment with the perception of the creator. You begin to see with God's eyes. Earlier on, and I think it was the third lesson, Yeshua was talking about how when he was young, he asked if there was a way that he could see his brothers and sisters the way the Creator sees all of us. If he could see only the shimmering radiance, if he could see behind the veils that were, that were created when he chose an interpretation or a perception. So here's the same message. Can you imagine looking at everything in the flow of life, not the way your family taught you, not the way your government tells you, not the way your religion tells you, but in a way that is completely direct observation without any judgment? What, from one of the Krishnamurti quotes, would say, the highest form of wisdom is direct observation without judgment. The text goes on and says, Beloved friends, in truth, you remain as you were created to be. 
This means that in each and every moment, you are literally using the power found in the silent depth of the ocean of the Creator's love that gave rise to you. You're using that very power of creation and existence to perceive as you desire. And if in your conscious mind you say, well, I don't like what I'm perceiving, the good news is once you learn that this is all an inside job, you can choose differently. So now they've dropped the word desire in here, right? But they've they've used it in the old colloquial way. What you as you desire, as you choose. And then the text reads, therefore, in this lesson, we will address the very nature of desire itself. We will address what it means, what it signifies, and how it creates effects. We will address the power of desire, the value of desire, the meaning and purpose of desire, and how to begin to bring that energy, which at times can feel like a thousand wild horses all wanting to go in their own directions, and to bring that energy under your conscious and deliberate direction so that you might create as the Creator created you. You might create with perfect, deliberate, and finite love. Uh, the word is infinite love, deliberate and infinite love, with perfect, infinite, and deliberate joy, and with perfect, perfect freedom. Now, it snuck in here in that paragraph that they're going to give you an entirely new way, a new meaning and purpose of desire. Again, at the beginning I said, please think about how for most human beings, at least from the Western world and Western cultures, the word desire has a lot of emotional loadings around it, and it's connected with words and the meaning of words like craving and obsession, etc. And in this lesson, they're going to propose an entirely different description, meaning, definition for the word desire. The text goes on and says, Desire, when I walked upon your planet as a man, I confronted many different opinions about the nature of creation, about the nature of humankind, and the nature of consciousness or self-identity. Just as you are now confronted with many schools of thought, so too was I. While that can seem to lead to great confusion, as though one must choose from the smorgasbord that it actually serves not unlike the sand inside the oyster from which a pearl will come. It causes you to grate inside. The idea here is it's really useful to have a variety of different schools of thought that you play with rather than just 
one one person, one leader, one minister, one teacher telling you this is what you need to know and this is how to do it and just follow this prescription because life doesn't work that way. Consciousness, wisdom doesn't work that way. That is dogma. That is belief. That is old dead thought. That's living from the past. So he says in this paragraph, I was confronted with all kinds of different thoughts and schools of thought and conflicting ideas. And it serves as grist for the mill. It serves as the sand in the oyster. It leads to the truth through your own active exploration and questioning. You're living into an experience rather than just believing what someone tells you. The next paragraph, very, very short, couple sentences says, you must find your own way to your own truth. Before each and every one of you lies your pathway, a doorway, an eye of the needle, through which only you can fit. And the good news is, as Guy Finley would say, the Creator didn't put you on a planet where there's only one or two true teachers hidden away in caves somewhere in the Himalayas or, you know, at the depth bottom of an ocean in some Atlantic city, a, a hidden city of Atlantis. You are in a world where your instant, constant connection to the forces that can teach you will never abandon you if you just ask to be shown, ask to be taught. And nobody else's path is going to fit you. So the text goes on and says, therefore, in some respects, you are seemingly alone. Note that word seemingly, because you can't be alone and you can't be disconnected from your source. And they've already said, wherever at the beginning of this lesson, it's not possible for you to go to a place that Yeshua, that these teachings, that the Holy Spirit, that what, you know, your connection to your Creator is not there with you. There's not a place to which you can journey where you will not discover my presence. That's in the very first paragraph of this lesson. So the word here is, you are seemingly alone. The text goes on. You must make the decision to desire above all things awakening into perfect remembrance of your union with your creator just as a wave might finally decide that it has been birthed not to be fearful of being a wave but to truly claim its individuation its uniqueness and to live that fully and in that fullness it decides to discover a way to be aware of its infinite union with the ocean itself. It decides to somehow break free of the myopic self-identification as one little piece of wave that arises in a place or a field of time that lasts for about a second and then disappears. The invitation is, let go of that thought that that's all you are. 
the invitation is desire above all things awakening into the perfect remembrance of your union, connection, inseparable, constant, eternal connection with your source. The next paragraph says, just like the wave, you can decide to find a way to transcend limitation to become identified with a consciousness, a living awareness that you are one with the depth of the sea. Decide that you can operate, not from the superficial level of awareness that might be like the foam at the tip of the wave, which you call your conscious or egoic mind, but you can become informed in all that you speak in all that you do, in all that you create, and in all that you perceive, you can become informed by that which rests at the very infinite depths of the ocean itself. You can awaken, you can choose to perceive yourself as the extension of the Creator's love expressing in form. And you can let Everything that you speak, think, do, create, and perceive be informed with the Creator's love. Again, the invitation is just sit with the thought about that. What do all these words mean? What would it feel like if I thought... I'm literally here to be a blessing to whoever and whatever I interact with. What if I'm here to create fully, lovingly, consciously, with gratitude and appreciation in every breath, with every moment, with every piece of my awareness, with every breath, with every step, with every space between thoughts as we were talking about the other day, I'm here to create. I'm here to extend love. I'm here to to extend the creative energy itself. How would that change what I do? How would it change the motivation behind what I do? Michael Rice likes to tell the story. It might have been about Ram Das, or it might have been somebody else. Ram Das, um, you know, Richard Alpert, um, he was Timothy Leary, and um, Richard were, I think they were at Harvard, and they were experimenting with consciousness expanding substances and LSD, and and um, Richard decided to go to India, and he found a guru, and he got off of the hallucinogenic drugs and found meditation and the Hindus and Buddhist practices, I forget which one he, he aligned with, but he changed his name to Ramdas and he became a spiritual teacher. And whether it was Ramdas or another person who had had worked at a bank and held a you know, he's a very bright person, had a, a high high level job, but he went off and found a teacher and he came back and he was wearing, you know, the orange robes and sandals on his feet and and he was walking down down the street and he ran into one of his old bosses and said hey 
great to see you. You know, you've been gone a long time. How about you come back and work at the bank? And no one could imagine that this deeply, truly, spiritually enlightened person would fit in a bank. But the fact of the matter is, he went back to work at the bank, and he did the work of the bank, but he did it by extending love. He did it in in a, a way that radiated peace and consciousness and present moment awareness and respect for everyone and everything. That's what they're talking about here. What if you chose to view yourself as having that purpose for existing so that whatever you're doing, whether you're sweeping the streets or you're raising children or you're working at a bank or you know, you're working four or five part-time jobs, that you just change the focus of what your motivation is what your purpose is, what your goals are, so that your primary goal, primary purpose, is to extend this creative energy to make sure that before you act, you get consciously connected with your true nature as an extension of life itself, love itself. What if you decided that you can operate not from that superficial level of awareness that you call your egoic consciousness or egoic mind, but that you can become informed in everything you think, speak, say, do, create, and perceive, you can become informed by the very infinite depth of creation itself from the ocean's depth The next paragraph reads, Imagine then drawing upon a well within you that seems to have no bottom and no sides, through which something is pouring forth from places unseen, in which your literal conscious attention or awareness seems to be colored with a radiant light, a light that literally leaves you feeling that you are not the body-mind, You are not the personal history with which you had identified before. Imagine an awesome awareness that these things are only temporary. Right, Your personal history, the body that you've identified, that your full awareness that these things are only temporary and very impersonal effects at the level of desire within your soul, which is one and the same thing as the love of the Creator expressing itself. And it's doing that for no other reason than that love must be extended. Love extends. That's what it does. Love allows all things, embraces all things, trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things surrenders to all things. The text goes on and reads, Imagine transcending the fear of your own survival because as you look upon your body-mind, you're no longer identified with that body-mind. 
What if it has just become a tool to be utilized by the capital L love that rests in the mind of the creator? You live and yet no longer you, but Christ dwells as you. Now this next sentence is in italics, is italicized. This is a very real experience to be lived. What is that real experience? You live and yet it's not you. You don't think of yourself as this egoic label, as this body, as this identity that you've had your whole life. You think of yourself as an extension of the Christ mind. You understand that a deeper truth about you Having consciousness, having awareness, having any ability to direct a physical body in the physical realm is the result of the mind of the creator expressing in form. This is a very real experience to be lived. It is not just a philosophy. It is not just a concept. And it can never be a dogma. In other words, the way you express that will be different than every other human being, every other consciousness, every other person that's ever expressed it. There's no handbook you can read. There's no set of instructions. It's like the laws of living Dr. Rice talks about. And people say, okay, give me that book on the laws of living. And he says it doesn't work that way. It's not spelled out in some dogmatic literature about seven steps to do this and that and then once you've done these seven steps then you move on to the level two and it doesn't work that way the last sentence in that paragraph reads there is a mystical translation that occurs in the depth of the soul which is merely a shifting of where you perceive your sense and your source of identity You're creating an experience right now of being a person, of a certain age, of a certain gender, of a certain set of skills. You're creating that experience by focusing your mind energy on it and choosing it as so important, however important you make it. And they're saying in this work, you have the power of creation. You can create an experience of yourself as the extension of the creative energy in form. And you can make that be the focus of your conscious awareness moment to moment, rather than your size, your weight, your pocketbook, your car, your stereo, your partner. You can choose. And if you choose for what they're offering here, the invitation here, there will be a mystical translation that occurs in the depth of the soul. And the depth of the soul is merely a shifting of where you perceive your sense and source of identity. So what is the energy required to take you from this myopic self-contraction in which you become identified with the little drops of foam at the tip of the wave that are tossed to and fro by a power that seems to be outside of you, what is it that could take you from that 
to a sense of identity with the silent depth of the ocean that is everywhere present and that seems to know no beginning and no end? What is that energy that could take you from sense of this myopic little bits of foam bouncing around, buffeted around by external forces, take you from there to a sense of being everywhere present and knowing no beginning and no end and being connected with the source of creation. That energy, the very energy that will carry you from the tip of the wave to the depth of the ocean is the energy of desire. So they are redefining desire. It's not craving. It's not obsession. It's not hunger. It's not thirst. It's the energy. It's this very subtle, extraordinarily subtle but powerful energy that carries any sense of being inclined towards any of these other things, wanting any of these other things, the energy that brings those thoughts that I want this or I want that, the energy that that my, my wanting this or that, my craving this or that, my obsessing about this or that is carried on, that's the energy of desire. So we had this ongoing mind shifter support group in person we'd been doing it for a number of years and we would branched out from just watching dr michael rice's videos and i had introduced the um the first few lessons of the way of mastery and i i wasn't sure how it was going to go over but people really started to be drawn to it and so we were starting to talk about this fourth lesson and you know you can imagine now we are we are sitting around a table that maybe sits 10 and there's 10 or 12 of us sitting around the table and this word desire comes up in this lesson and people are getting irritated people are starting to bristle every time the word is read if i'm reading the lesson this lesson four and it came to me that in order to keep the focus moving in the right direction i was going to have to give these people a different definition for the word desire from this particular lesson and it came to me in the middle of that group please stop getting tight and tense and wanting to argue about this and i said just substitute this phrase every time you hear the word desire and here's the phrase the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in this moment the energy of creation not what it wants to express just the energy and as that energy of creation moves through you, it's going to want to express differently 
than when it moves through me or anyone else. So we're moving into an entirely new definition for the word desire. And I invite you to play with this, to think and to rethink and to question again and question again. What if what I think they mean by desire is too heavy, too forceful, too physical? What if they're talking about something more ethereal, far more subtle? And just keep pushing it in that direction so that you're not looking for anything that you could recognize. You're looking beyond everything you've ever recognized, everything that has made sense in the physical senses realm. That it goes beyond words, it goes beyond language, it goes beyond what your five senses can show you. And you're, you're trying to tune into something far more subtle, almost like you're trying to perceive radio waves or TV waves or x-rays that you know are bouncing around in the atmosphere around you. So as you move, if you're going to be working with this lesson four, as you move through this, this writing, these teachings, just move a little bit more towards the subtle and ethereal and ephemeral and, and anything less solid and play around with softening. Later on, they're going to give us exercises. And when you play with those exercises, put this lens on it. I'm trying to have an experience unlike anything I've had before. I'm trying to tune into something. It's almost like if you go, you've never been bird watching before, and you go out with an experienced bird watcher, you're probably going to be amazed at the things this bird watcher sees. She's going to notice things, and you're going to be just gobsmacked at how much is right in front of you whether you're, you know, walking on a trail or you're in a vehicle that's moving slowly on some nature road, you're going to be amazed at what this bird watcher who's trained sees and picks up that you don't see, that was right there in front of you until they pointed it out to you. Imagine as you start exploring Lesson 4, that the essence of what they're trying to direct you to in desire is just like that. It is so subtle. It's so different than anything you've ever been exposed to before that you just keep readjusting and saying, okay, not that, not that, not that, something more subtle, something more subtle, something more subtle, and watch what happens. And the phrase that 
really helped that group soften and move forward in discussions was when I introduced, let's use this definition for the word desire. The energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in this moment has nothing to do with the specifics of what I might want to create. It has nothing to do with a craving or an obsession. It has to do with this very powerful but amazingly subtle energy that has given rise to each of us and that is in each of us that we can tune into and learn to use and learn to trust. So that's all I'm going to offer for today. This is a Friday. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Again, next week we'll have um, Tuesday and Thursday support groups. All the information you would need to join us absolutely free is available on mindshiftersacademy.org website. Also on that website you can get access to the educational materials page to uh, the article by uh, Erica Vega on Joy in Disguise and Recently, I've uploaded a couple letters that are like examples of the um, saying goodbye to good people without saying goodbye to good memories uh, talk. There's also that, those audio files that you can listen to of the workshop I gave titled Saying Goodbye to Good People Without Saying Goodbye to Good Memories. There's a PDF you can download of suggested categories to review as you're going through remembering a relationship and the learnings that you've distilled from it and facing the sadness of the realization that it's over, it's not going to be the same, even if it continues in a different form, it won't be the same as it was. And in that way, if you do that work, you gain easy, full, direct access in the library of your mind to all of the learnings and memories in the relationship because you'll have demonstrated to yourself that you don't have to run from the pain and fear and sadness. You don't have to deny, suppress, distract yourself from it. And um, as I've also mentioned, there are the... uh, Highlight shows from various years of this work, and I, I'm, I'm again offering any, any, inviting any questions, and um, my email is tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And we're at the end of our time, so I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love. And everything else is false. I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate you. Blake Nancy, I missed your show today. Thank you. I hope you do too. All right. Take care.
Thanks. Bye. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Friday, December the 8th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Excuse me. We'll give Michael just a moment to dial in. And uh, I'll just say that I hope as everybody's getting ready for festivities that you're staying connected to love and looking at all the opportunities that may come your way, getting together with family. We had a wonderful time last night. Well, actually, Michael had a meeting, so he didn't go. But um, uh, my daughter-in-law's business is a marina, and they had a float in our local Christmas parade, and she needed people to walk and hand out um, lays and candy and things like that. So we were out there. We had to be there. Parade was supposed to start at seven. We got there just before six. We didn't get home till almost ten o'clock. And it was a chilly night here, but it was a lot of fun. And um, all the little kids sat on the boat as it went down the street, being pulled by a truck. And the rest of us were walking beside of it. And it was a Hawaiian thing, and actually the float um, got two awards last night, so that was pretty cool, and the kids had a lot of fun, and uh, anyway, um, if you go to our website, I don't believe I've added anything new recently, but look around, and if you see a link or something that's not working, please drop me a line at genie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and let me know so I can get it fixed. We did send out a newsletter. If you are on our mailing list, you should have received it. I've gotten a couple of comments from some people, and most people really like getting the update of what we're doing and the updates on the website. And then a couple of people were like, oh, well, I don't read more than 160 words. (laughs) So it's like, okay, I can't please everybody. That's the first email newsletter that I have sent out since March. So it's not like we're bombarding your mailbox for sure. And uh, but anyway, I hope that uh, you know read what you want, ignore the rest. It's kind of like you know getting a a city newspaper. Some people just read the sports section, some look at the comics, some read the front page. But I don't know of anybody that reads the entire newspaper. So that's okay if you don't read the whole thing. But uh, we put it all in there so that whatever you're interested in, we've got information about that particular topic. So I hope you enjoyed getting that and reading it. Um, And if you didn't get it, that would mean that you're not on our mailing list. So you can do that easily. You can go to the website, whyagain.org, and down at the very bottom of the homepage, there is a section that says, join our mailing list. It has a a big red glowing heart, just like the heart that glows on the app. And so you click that and fill it out, and it automatically adds you to Constant Contact, which is the company that we use for mailing out our newsletter. And that's about all I know. So let me see where Michael is on joining us. If you have a question or comment about anything that we've talked about lately or the recordings that we've played or something new that you want to discuss, please press 1. 
If you're on another station where we can't see you, if you would uh, dial in 563-999-3581 and then press 1. And a little hand goes up in the switchboard, and I know that you're not just among the other uh, dozen or 20 that are listening to the show, and we do appreciate you being there listening. Um, seems like a lot of times people wait till the very last of the show to press 1, and then we don't have time to get all the questions in. Or you press 1 after somebody else, and whoever has the floor gets the floor until we're complete with them. So if you want to jump in there, press 1 now. And that will put you right up top because nobody has their hand up right at the moment. And let's see, what else is new? Aria was telling me yesterday that uh, I don't even know what brought it up. And she said, you know we're in Advent right now. And I said, well, I said, tell me what that means. Just, you know, seeing she goes to a uh, private Catholic school and so they celebrate those things. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, it means you're waiting for Christmas. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> In uh, Christian theology, it's um, looking for the second coming of Christ, uh, the first season of the Christian church leading up to Christmas, including the four preceding Sundays. is called Advent. Um, it's the beginning of a uh, Year in Western, I'm looking at Google, Christianity, the name was adapted from Latin meaning the coming or the arrival. So anyway, she was a little bit right. She said it's waiting for Christmas. So, And she has a, an advent calendar that she opens one door every day up until she gets to the 25th. So let me see if Michael's having technical difficulties here. He says it's being a little weird, but he's going to try it one more time to get in. Technology. So we are six minutes into the show, and I've just kind of been babbling along. What would you like to talk about? Coming up on the holiday season, is it a time that brings stuff up for you? Um, is it a trigger? Is there perhaps, you know, a lot of people, they used to go to grandma and granddad's or to mom and dad's or whatever, and that generation's passed on, so it kind of seems like a a period of time has vanished from your life, and and you're what the culture calls missing that, and that brings up loss. So you know, if something like that's going on for you right now, coming into this season, press one. Let us support you. If you've got a blessing you'd like to share, press one. Tell us about it. And Michael's with us now, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here. We get to play one more time. Uh, we were actually trying to figure out a way that we could bring in a conference that we were listening to today. Uh, you've heard us talk about some of you have met, have met Dr. John Laurence at a uh, an intensive or two that he's done, and or maybe you met me at his center when I presented there in Sarasota, Florida. Anyway, he's got a really hot, 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 hot uh, holistic conference going on at his center. John bought a property back about two years ago that he's converted to not only his practice space, but a teaching center, chiropractor, cutting edge 
chiropractic neurology. Just doing some really awesome stuff. Congratulations, John. And he had sent us a link to a conference that he's doing there today and he's trying to see if there's a way we could link it in here, but it is not something we could do. However, I'm going to talk to him and see if, uh, if we can perhaps convert his uh, videos from this as there are several different presenters just presenting. Uh, it's kind of like a walk through memory lane. Some of you have uh, heard me talk in the past to a gentleman named V.E. Irons, who the last time he and I were on a conference platform together, he was 82 and presented his newborn baby. And this is a man who invented a program for cleansing the colon called the Kalima, something I used to, oh, geez, 40 years ago, used to guide people through on a one-to-one -one basis. Some of the uh, pieces of that uh, process came up in the conference today and uh, just doing all kinds of, uh, of different things that are holistically oriented and really cutting edge stuff. So hopefully we'll be able to share that with you. I'll, uh, I'll probably talk to John tonight or tomorrow and, uh, and see if we can convert those videos to audio tracks that we can play on the show. I think you'll find it really, really interesting. And, He's just doing cutting-edge stuff in the, in the arena of physiology. And has to line up a process. Go ahead, Sweetie. Uh, two things. One, move your microphone just a little because your breath is making your words kind of wispy. And okay. you have a hand Is that better? Wait. Oh, it great. Is. Let's say hello to the hand. Okay. I think it's Peter, and it's 619 area code. You're on the air. Hi, Michael and Jeannie. Yeah, I was um, inspired by Jeannie's talk while you were fixing your equipment. She said uh, something about, you know, this time of the year, et cetera. And I'm working on the sheets and giving up goals. If I'm saying that, we're canceling goals. Right. And one thing I've done for over 30 years for my kids and then my stepkids is always cook all the big holiday meals. Uh, right. To try to replicate what I had as a kid with, you know, 12 kids in my family. Big, big Italian salt. family. Yep. So um, this year I didn't do anything. Um, and the reason is I just felt like nobody cared. Um Nobody basically said thank you. Nobody appreciated. And I thought, I'm tired of doing this. So I didn't do it. Uh, I just wanted your thoughts. Question. <clears throat> Question. Yes. How does that pattern of not caring fit in with your family system? Because if you recall, one of the conversations we had recently is you've reintroduced yourself to the work and, and uh, made a choice to move in the direction of picking up your work on another level again, was you went through a whole thing about not caring. Like you were ready to just let it all go. So the progression of that and and what that's all about might be a good piece of work to uh to open the space not only for yourself but for your family system to uh to heal that one 
Well, that's I'm confused that to me canceling goals means giving up and not caring and moving on. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's an interesting one. Well, let's see if we can uh, reframe that one because that's uh, that's a projection of that family pattern of not caring, I would offer, because the reason you, for me, in the context of this conversation, the reason I would cancel a goal, if I've got, let's say, a family member that I have upset with, the reason I would cancel a goal and clean up the upset in my mind would be because I do care. If I didn't care, I wouldn't bother. So the reality for me is the exact opposite. And, you know, they, there's a point where 2,000 years ago they said to Yeshua, and I'm going to do an expanded version of the question, Yeshua, in this thing you're teaching us about how to be a human being, what's most important? I understand, Yeshua, there are laws for functioning as a human being. What's most important in the law? And he says, not love God, love neighbor as yourself, but he says have rachma for the creator, for neighbor, and by so doing, you will maintain yourself or your human life. And how that fits into this conversation for me is that what he's saying is there's a gateway in you, which if it's open, it's called Rachma. There's no such concept in the English language or the Latin or Greek through which most of the translations of his words come. There's just no such concept. There's a gateway in the frontal lobes of your brain called Rachma. And if it's open, love presents itself in your mind and in your physiology because it is your essence and you'll get to function as love. And that's where the tail end of that one, the Greeks translated it as, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. No, no, you maintain the love that you are. You maintain your human life by having this condition rachma in your mind. And the thing that seals it from us are things like not caring. Old realities, constructs of the mind of hostility, fear, uh, you know, whatever form they take, when they become active, tend to knock that filter out. Now, when I cancel a goal, there's no relationship to not caring and the canceling a goal or leaving something behind or forgetting about it. The reason why I cancel a goal, and, you know, let's say, for instance, caring, which is an awesome goal, I would say that it is, it, it, it almost is, or now I'll take the word almost out, it's a reflection, caring is a reflection of our human lives. It's, it's like part of the package of functioning as love is caring. And if our minds have been brainwashed through generational patterns, Remember they said, look to the lives of the fathers, for ours are but a shadow of theirs upon the earth. If we've been brainwashed by those patterns, and one of those things is not caring, then I don't cancel the goal because I'm going to leave caring behind. It's a perfectly good goal. There's nothing wrong with the goal. And, and when I complete the healing around that issue of caring... I'm going to clearly reestablish the goal. 
to do things out of and in a way that reflects caring. The only reason I cancel the goal, it's got nothing to do with leaving anything behind but pain and trauma, generational patterns based in that. The only reason I cancel a goal, in this case the goal for caring, would be because when I load it into my mind, it resonates some form of pain in me and the projection from the mind energy that resonates paints a picture on the inside of my eyeballs of not caring. So I cancel the goal, not because I don't want it, not because I can't have it, not because I'm going to leave it behind, not because anybody should ever leave it behind. I cancel the goal because I recognize that when I load that goal into my mind for myself or someone else to care, that it resonates unresolved generational pain. And I want to clean that up. Once I clean it up, I'm going to write back to the goal of caring. And so now let's say I stand now as the presence of love, which means I stand fully, completely, 1,000% fulfilled as a human being. And the person in front of me says, I don't give a damn about anything you do. Now, if there's no pain in me resonated by that statement, I'm going to be a space of love. I'm going to be a space of compassion. I'm going to be a space of caring for that person. And in other words, I'm going to be the space that can help to open the energy field and make it safe enough for this person to look at the part of them that, you know, believes they cared too much and got hurt or, you know, whatever the dynamic is. So I'm going to become that space that can heal that dynamic once I've dealt with it within myself, then I'm going to be able to deal with it in my, within my family system. System. You think about mom, which I'm, I'm fantasizing this, knowing your large family system and that Italian family, and there she was slaving over a hot stove hours and hours and hours cooking down that pasta sauce. And do you think it mattered to her whether anybody cared or not? Or was she just the presence of love in doing that? She was the presence of love. She would do it regardless of what any one of the kids did. So I support you following her modeling and then resolving, forgiving that pain that comes with this idea of caring or not caring or people who don't care. Started to make sense. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and uh, we did come to a solution. Well, my wife did because she saw what was happening. But she would see me slaving in the kitchen all morning for seven hours for 20 people. And then they'd, 15 of them would show up six hours late, get a Tupperware full of food and leave. And I thought, Oh, this isn't the family celebration I wanted to create. I guess nobody cares about the family celebration anymore. So anyway, this year, uh, and I can just, I, I think I get what you're saying. So I'm just going to do from a position of love regardless of how they behave, or how I see them behave or perceive them behave. Uh, and usually their kids are stuck on their cell phones in another world. Um, That's the brainwash of the culture, definitely. Oh, yeah. And and you might ask yourself the question, 
when you talk about your kids, you as dad, were you ever consumed by that world while they were looking for, where's dad? Um, you mean me as dad? They were looking for me? You as dad, were you ever consumed by that kind of busyness, that kind of engagement in the outside world when, you know, little Billy or Johnny was sitting there at the age of two going, where's my daddy? Oh, yeah, because I was a pilot and I was always on the other side of the world. Hmm. So the modeling worked really well. What do you mean? I mean, they're living what they were taught, right? I'm, I'm not supposed to be here with Dad, who's slave to put this meal together to enjoy my company. I'm supposed to be off on the other side of the world, whether it's just by being having my head in my phone, or, or I'm in my business, or I'm, you know, I'm somewhere else. It, it sounds like the modeling is being played out perfectly and being fed back to. And you know, you've heard me say it before. One of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines about children is, "Children like having our unconscious minds hanging out in true living color in Dolby sound." How many times do you suppose, instead of dad being off on the other side of the world, each one of those kids wanted daddy to be home celebrating, you know, whatever the holiday yep. was? That's so true. Never thought of that. Because um, that always moved Christmas to a different day. But, in any way, so my wife had this idea this year. I think it's a good idea. Um, we're a part of a club, and they have a restaurant. And uh, when they're all in town, because some are in different towns now, they're older. Um, I think it's next week. We're all going to meet up um, at a restaurant where you can sit and order, and nobody has to slave, and everybody's relaxed. And they're all responding, yay, that sounds great. So that was our temporary solution, but I am learning what you're talking about. Do you suppose that your mom slaved? Um, She loved being a mom, but she worked hard. So it was a labor of love for her. Absolutely. So I'd support you the next time you choose to make a meal is you make it a labor of love and that this whole idea of spending that seven hours in the kitchen is slaving, which is vibration, which is an energy, which, you know, those who are tuned to you are going to tend to respond to and make it a labor of love. Well, it was a labor of love. So nobody cared that it was there. And I... But I get it. So. But notice that notice notice the conclusion. Here here's the thought disorder I would offer. You might want to look at doing some healing around. Notice there's a thought disorder. Nobody cares enough to be here. That's a conclusion. And remember that the mind turns thoughts into pictures that it then paints on the inside of our eyeballs. Mm. And that thought is going to paint a picture on the inside of your eyeballs about people out there who don't care, who don't care enough to be there, who don't care enough to take the time, who don't care enough to take the attention. And maybe 
the little one at two who went, I guess I'm not important enough for dad to care enough to be here because he's on the other side of the world. Uh, you might you might give a listen to, or even uh, while you're listening to it, download the words to the song Cats in the Cradle. Oh, yeah. Remember that I tune? Yep, I was just thinking of that. Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Moon, Little Boy Moo and the Man in the Moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. And the conclusion of the song is, my boy grew up just like me. Yep. And now you're conscious of it, so you get a chance to heal it. Like, whoa, how cool is that? Well, it's very cool, because it's not fun being the other way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you loud and clear. All right. Loud well, thank you. That helps Absolutely a lot. honored and delighted. Glad to be on the team and, and delighted to see you decided to bypass that thought where you almost just gave up the whole shebang and said, I don't care, that you decided to go for it. And that's the kind of contribution the world needs because too many people have gotten trapped in those thought disorders, in those dynamics of of our culture. So, you know, being a uh, a leader and the ado- early adopter in the family who says, I'm going to change these dynamics is what changes family systems and every family system that changes the world or changes themselves changes the world. You know, great principle from A Course of Meal in Miracles. When you are healed, you are never healed alone. It opens the energy window. And so, and that's a dynamic that is so desperately in need of healing throughout our whole culture today. Mm-hmm. So thanks for having the courage to go there. Well, thank you. And trusting and enough with it, us enough with it to share it. Absolutely. I always feel better. Thank you. Yeah. Sweet. Awesome, my friend. Glad to be on the team. Thank you. Be a good time to go get your hand in the Avacyn and get some blood warmed up and, and let this whole energy that's moving right now flow through you and be flushed out with that heat. Yeah, I just got off the Avacyn, but I, I'm doing it three times a day yep. as you recommended. Perfect. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. Well, if I lift my hand, you can hear that little engine humming in the background. My hand's in it just about every day as we do the radio show. Oh, yeah. It's a good time when well, I'm sitting still. It's getting rid of the neuropathy. Cool. On on in terms of the neuropathy, when you started, what's that about three, four weeks ago now that you started? On a scale yeah. of one to ten, what was the neuropathy then? The neuropathy was a ten, but the pain was just starting. And this is what the medical doctors warned me about. Neuropathy is one thing, but when you enter into pain from the diabetes, lack of circulation, uh, once right. you enter into pain, you're in serious trouble. And uh, that's why I bought the machine, and the pain went away 100%. Um, awesome. And, and where's the, the neuropathy, neuropathy then on that scale of 1 to 10 now? Uh, three or four. That's awesome. Nice work. You know, my friend Patrick McGann, is a, he's a fellow nature path, somebody I've known for oh, over a half century. We've been friends, and he's the one who introduced me to it. And he was 74 when he, three years ago when he found the Allison. And uh, he said, yeah, this is great. I'm, and he told me about it. It's like, oh, that's nice. That's good, Patrick. 
And about after about four or five weeks, you know, I didn't listen to him very much in terms of what he said. After four or five weeks, he called me and said, Michael, uh, you know, before I, I got this thing, I could... I would get up in the morning and I'd be able to do about two hours work and my feet would be in excruciating pain from the neuropathy. Yeah. And I'd have to go and put my feet up for the rest of the day. And at the five-week point when he called me, and that's when I bought my first Avacyn, <laughs> at the five-week point when he called me, he said, Michael, I'm getting up now and I'm spending five, four and a half, five hours a day working and I'm having aching in my feet but I don't have to go put them up for the rest of the day. And now, three years later, Patrick's doing 10, 12-hour, 14-hour days on his feet with no problem. Mm-hmm. So pretty amazing. So that's yeah. pretty cool to go from a 10 to a 4 in three weeks, three and a half weeks, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. That's the best nice thing. work. Thank you. Cool. And, you know, one of the things that... Um, Diabetes is about the, at the root of diabetes, as I've, as I've observed it over the years, is that one of the main energetic patterns behind diabetes in the realm of cause, in the realm of mind energy, is grief. And the processing you just did around not caring at all will tie into that grief, and that will probably be a big piece of you you know, totally freeing yourself of that uh, whole diagnosis. Yeah. Diagnosis is an interesting word. You know, most people haven't thought of it, but if you look at the word diagnosis, an agnostic is somebody who doesn't know, and a dyad is two, two who don't know. You go to most diagnosticians, you go to 10 of them, you get at least seven different diagnoses, two who don't know. And oh, when you start to look at the energy behind it and clean it out, and rather than, you know, there's a, uh, a, a business in the world that purports to be about healing, and uh, it's really about creating customers and addicting customers to their product as opposed to healing. It's called treatment. And, and, and treatment, of course, can be very valuable and very uh, profoundly um, helpful, but rarely is treatment ever healing. And most people think treatment and healing are the same thing, but they're two totally, generally speaking, are two totally completely different things. And they need to be used side by side. So, And the highest form of healing, I believe, was brought by a man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, when he said, here's how you remove the energetic patterns that are toxifying your tissue structure and distorting the pictures that are painted on the inside of your eyeballs. Here's how you collapse those pictures and get to those root energies and clean them out. It's, it, it, just, it, it boggles my mind, and every time I think of it, it deepens my appreciation for what he did and what he handed us 2,000 years ago. Pretty sweet, yeah. pretty cool. And in a a real level, like where we live, you know, with our families in the kitchen, not in the church house, but in the real level of life, how impactful it is if we can get back to what he actually said. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if I didn't discover your intensive down south there 25 years ago, I, I never would have been able to understand it because I didn't even know what the Aramaic language was then. Right. Yeah, in the early years when I was, tra- you know, I've, I've been on the road. We're, we're not on the road now the last five years, but in the early years when I was on the road, one of the things I would purposely do once I started to work with the Aramaic is, I, you know, I'm in a big city and I'd find one of the big Christian bookstores and I'd go in and ask for an Aramaic Bible and never did anybody do any more than, you know, kind of look at me cross-eyed and say, well, Arrow, who it? What are we talking about? In fact, one young man, I remember <laughs> someone told him that I worked with the Aramaic and and uh, his response, he works with the aromatic what? <laughs> anyway, um, and, and I mean, I never found anybody that even knew, although they all profoundly proclaimed they were following the man to the letter, I never found one person who even knew what language he spoke. <laughs> And yeah. virtually every key concept that he taught was lost in translation. Now, when awareness started to happen was Mel Gibson came out with the movie The Passion of Christ, and it was done in Aramaic, at least partially in Aramaic. And then when I would go into one of those bookstores, i go, oh, yeah, the Aramaic, yeah. Hmm. No, we don't have any. But, but they at least knew you know, it was the language that he spoke. And it's amazing how many people in in the theological world. I remember I was speaking at a Kiwanis Club meeting in Lansing, Michigan, about thirty seven, thirty eight years ago, and I, I was doing a presentation on the Aramaic. And there was a man who was a member of the club, who's a preacher, had been a, a fundamental preacher for better than fifty years. And the person who introduced me to speak asked me to come and speak, you know, introduced and set up for us to have lunch. And I started to put out some of the stuff from, you know, from Yeshua in Aramaic. And this guy who had been a a Bible-thumping preacher for over 50 years, when I gave him some of the, you know, this is what the word meant as it fell out of his mouth, this guy actually said to me, I don't care what Jesus said. My Greek Bibles told me all I need to know. I was like, I, I just sat there. I, well, I don't know how I sat there, but I can only imagine my mouth just hung open. I could could hardly believe what I was hearing. But to hear somebody who ostensibly had been representing this man for over half a century say, I don't care what he said, it's just... Bizarre. I'm really bizarre. not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad I discovered it. I'm glad you did your work so to bring it to light. Because well, I sure changed. do feel blessed and filled with appreciation. Yeah, it changes everything. I mean, it makes sense. And And... To me, the the thing that's most important about that statement is that it makes sense where we live, you know, in our family systems, in our communities, and in our world, as opposed to inside of the church house. 
it makes exactly. sense. It, it doesn't doesn't support much of the dogma that most people are about. But the man never said, "I come to bring you dogma and doctrine." He said, "I come to bring you life, life more abundantly." You know, that was the single. There it is. There was why he came. And and most people are like, no, no, he came to. He, I got this dogma that I believe. I've got this doctrine. That's that's what's really important. No. Come to bring you life. And what is life but love flowing through a cell? Anything we do that inhibits us, inhibits that, love flowing through a cell, is killing ourselves. Anything that enhances it is healing us. And forgiveness takes the load off the system. It's like, it's like so, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's so simple. Yep. So delighted to have you rocking and rolling with it again, my friend. Thank you, Michael, and uh, we'll stay in touch, obviously. All right, sir. Have a blessed one. And any thoughts for you before we leave? Go ahead. I say any other thoughts for you before we hang up? Oh, no. Or before we... Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Standing love in your direction. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up, or, or do you have any thoughts to share on that conversation, um, sweetie? One of the one no. of the thoughts that came to mind was the experience we had in Key West when you shared it with your preacher here. I don't know if you'd like to share that, but oh, uh, um, yeah, there was a a gentleman who had sponsored us in Key West, and. Super nice guy, and we've been with him for a couple of weeks. And yeah, you know, I I wasn't sure he wasn't like you know way out there or obvious or anything, but I thought you know he's um, he's homosexual, and of course I had been raised um, you know evangelical missionary Baptist, and and was taught you know oh that, you know that's terrible, that's awful, and stay away from him and. After we'd been with him for a couple of weeks, I asked him one day. We were actually doing still point breathing, and uh, when we took an intermission, I asked him if I could talk to him, and we went and sat on the couch, and, and I just told him. I said, you know, I was raised that, you know, homosexuality was uh, terrible, you know, and awful, and I said, but I just want you to know, you know, I don't, you know, it's not my business what your lifestyle is, and I just want you to know that I really love you. You know, I have... And, and, of course, that's not the term that we normally use, you know, but I have love resonated in me when I am around you, and I appreciate your support and what you're doing. And when I got back home and I actually shared that with my pastor, and, you know, I said, I now know exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, you know, that we were to love everyone. We didn't have to love, you know, what they were doing but we were to extend our love towards them regardless. And my pastor said he would pray that God would bring me down. And I was like, what? And it was just like a total shock that, you know, you're supposed to represent, you know, God and teach us what Jesus taught. And yet you're going to pray that God brings me down because I extend my love to another person that believes differently than what we believe. And it's like, you know, Jesus went to, you know, he didn't go to the ones that were necessarily following him and believing in him. He went to the people that others referred to as sinners. 
uh, any function is love. Yep. Yeah. In every case. And that's like our real job description. And yeah, and in, sure. it's interesting in Aramaic, the word neighbor means anybody that you think about. So if there's somebody that you think about in your world, past, present, future, imagine, or or maybe look at in the mirror, then you've broken the first law. You've given up your human life, love, for some thought disorder in your mind that was very often implanted by somebody in one of these buildings of churchianity. There's so much hostility and fear and, and fear-mongering and threat, all in the name of the effort to establish each and every one of us as a human being in our own body-mind units, on our own family systems, in our own communities, and to inspire us or teach us how, if we hold anything based in hostility or fear, how to remove those energetic patterns of hostility or fear so that we get to show up. Whatever the party is, I mean, the most, the, the most urgent place to follow that first law is where the most dastardly, nasty, evil, ugly, wicked, you know, whatever words you want to come up with, parties going on that you show up as the human life that brings healing to everyone and that's you know that's the bottom line of this work and and to remember that if I can't show up as love for it it's my work not theirs and my mind will paint a picture Remember, if I, if I live in denial, and, and, you know, I say this one over and over, maybe you think, geez, Michael, when are you ever going to stop saying that? Never. Because of the, the, mind, the mind of man in us goes totally against this. But when I live in denial, when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, I have to hide or dissociate from the diseased part of myself that's producing that inside of me. When I hide from it, the person I'm blaming for it, I'm literally building the picture that's drawn on the inside of my eyeballs of them out of my unresolved pain. That's what led Paul at a moment of insight to say, beware you who judge another for that in which you judge another. You have been guilty of practicing. And how many times have we seen that happen? The preacher's up there railing against the prostitute, railing against the homosexual, railing against the thief, and then when we finally get a look in the back room, what's he doing? Prostitute, homosexuality, theft, infidelity. We rail against what we haven't resolved if we've resolved whatever it is in us, then we bring the presence of love to the conversation and can then assist people to access, undo, and delete or forgive the thought disorders that produce that particular picture painted on the inside of our eyeballs. But the mind of man is so tricky, so tricky. And it has this amazing, amazing characteristic. 
It takes thoughts and turns them into pictures. And if I have a thought disorder that I'm not willing to be responsible for, it's going to turn up in my perceptual construct as a picture. I'll think that the picture is a picture of something out there, but really it's a picture that's painted on the inside of my eyeballs that I lay over top of whoever's out there. It's called externalization. So if I hold a thought disorder that I'm not willing to be responsible for, and I hide it in my brain's image of someone else, then I've gonna, I'm going to have a whole procession of people who will show up doing that very thing. Beware you who judge another for that in which you judge another. You are projecting the mind energy you have unresolved in you into your brain's image of them. And then for this man to have the genius to know how to collapse those pictures is just, you know, to me, like, talk about Gratitude City. That he brought that, and then, for me, Gratitude City, that I happened to trip across the Aramaic 40-some years ago and become totally captivated by it. What if? So pretty awesome, and uh, and while we're talking about Bill, Jeannie, let's just take a moment and extend I love in his direction. I haven't talked to Bill in a couple of years. I need to give him a call and say hello. Absolutely. And um, we have two hands up. However, we've also got Bob from Australia in the chat room, and you were talking about diagnosis. He said Western medicine is telling him that he may have bowel or prostate cancer. And he started his own protocol with baking soda, molasses, and also using CDS. And he said, I just had an energetic healing session. No fear here. Awesome. So, Bob, we hold the space. And you've heard me talk before about regulatory speech. And so I'd invite you to consider maybe doing some worksheets on fear. Because, of course, if there were no fear, if there was total confidence, then the words, the regulatory speech would be in the arena of, oh, total confidence, it's all taken care of. But the fact that, you know, Shakespeare gave us a clue how it works. He says, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. So just from your speaking, I'd offer there probably would be some, some good work to do on fear and maybe generational pattern, who, who knows. But I'd suggest a worksheet or two in that direction might uncover some things and to bring everything into a, the next highest state of alignment. And uh, we'll hold the space for you. Thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for being around the you show sit. for so long and hanging out with us. I know you get up at some like Absolutely. four in the morning to hear, hear from us. Go ahead, Jeannie. Um, he, put, he has started a local support group called on the mend, except it's spelled M-E-N apostrophe D. Oh, cool. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Okay, well, let's Fabulous. take our next caller. Um, we have two hands up. 
The next caller, though, is 610. I believe that's Miss Susan. Hi, guys. This will be short. Jeannie, I just wanted to say you had that discussion with your pastor, and then what did you do? What happened? Um, I left the church. They Bingo. they also, okay. yeah, um, I had previously, you know, bef- this was before I met Michael, and I was already in the questioning space of, you know, do I really believe what I say I believe or because I've been told all my life this is what you believe? And so I was already in that state before I met Michael, and I had gone through a divorce after 24 years of marriage, and... Um, they basically told me that I needed to go back. It didn't matter if it was, you know, hellacious or whatever, that, you know, I would get my reward in heaven. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so I was already kind of um, discouraged with the church because also I was part of the church when it was first formed, and I was the clerk, not paid, and the secretary, I taught uh, children's class, I taught the adult class, I sang in the choir. I mean, all that of these things. Like you, and, and then when I got a divorce, it was like nobody would talk to me. And it's like I'm the same person that was doing all this service in church, you know, that you turn my back, turn mm-hmm. your back on me because I did something you don't believe in. And, you know, so I was already mm-hmm. kind of in a... Um, date <laughs> with yeah. them and then when he said that it was like okay never mind i don't need this good work well one of the other things that comes into the picture Jeannie, that i think about is you uh you talk about all the service that you did at the churches that there was one class that you uh you taught a kids class and there was a handicapped man in it mentally handicapped and that uh they stopped you from teaching that class cuz you were a woman and you weren't allowed to teach a man it's like another piece yeah. of the puzzle for me. It was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was my mom and I were two of the few people that did um, sign language. And mm. in the church services, I usually signed the songs, and she would sign the mm. preaching. But then I signed um, in the deaf Sunday school class. And mm. it was okay as long as it was women and there were children. But when this man, and I mean, he actually had the mentality of about a a 9 or 10-year-old, but Mm -hmm. because he was in a man's body, and they said women can't teach men. And the class actually dissolved because nobody else was willing to to teach it. And uh, mom being a woman as well, you know, she wasn't allowed either. So it was like they just dissed a whole community that couldn't hear out of a silly belief that they had, so... Did your mom leave too? No. Mom was still at that church until the day she passed. Mm. She was church secretary at that one at that time and Wow. Okay. <laughs> what yeah. Although she'd had her druthers, that preacher would have been long gone. <laughs> yeah. She oh, did yeah. she actually I found after she passed away I found a letter that she wrote to the church. Um, saying that they needed to get rid of him, but she never gave it to him. Uh, Well, okay, thanks. Go for your next caller. I just wanted to find out what happened. Okay, thank you. All right, young lady, you have a blessed one. Appreciate you. Thanks. Bob just wrote in the chat room, 
excuse me, chat room, um, he does have trust in his own process. And the men-D on the men group is based on his belief that by sharing our stories, we help to heal each other. Everyone holds a piece of the puzzle. And he says his only fear uh, that he's experiencing is that which has been radiated by the practitioners. Um, I'm glad I have strong boundaries. Nice work, sir. Yeah. Okay, our next caller is area code 541. I believe this is Linda. You're on the air. Hello. Hey there, young lady. Welcome. I'm out. I must have accidentally pushed the button because I'm out in the garden doing some gardening work. And how are you? Good. I just came in from gardening to uh, to do the show, and when I'm finished, I'm back out there getting to plant a cover crop on our new garden. To, that's my my project for this afternoon is finishing spreading some soil, and so I'll I'll join you in the garden in a little while. All right. Well, blessings, and I'm really enjoying these broadcasts. Um, um, <laughs> find uh, being quiet enough to get discerning about so what is mine to share and what is mine to just lap up and enjoy myself. <laughs> just, I'm, I'm really I'm working on all this. My poor, my brother is very very ill, and so I want to support him in every way I can and his approach to who Jesus was and what he did and stuff and um, mine are radically different and I really appreciate what uh, Dr. Tim read in chapter 4 of the Way of Mastery today because reminding me that we all have our individual path back home and that um, it's not about my brother getting it about the Aramaic gospel. It's about being loved and seeing the love of Yay. him and supporting him in whatever best way I can, whatever best way I can. And if his um, journey, spiritual journey, and his perceptions are in belief and mine are not, that's irrelevant because I'm not in charge of his spiritual growth and he's not in charge of mine and it's sweet to have right. such a loving relationship that we do and of course nice. I want him nice. to live forever right <laughs> and he's and I think he's just about ready to go so that's my work to do so that I can have you given him permission give him permission yeah have you give him have you given him permission I haven't verbally, and that's good that you say that. It he's might be a powerful my, conversation. He's always been my support group. <laughs> my, mm. my, yeah. Big brother? Yep. yep. Mm. Well, breathing with Please. you through that and what it brings up, and uh, I'd, I'd invite you to maybe do some work around loss and death and, you know, reaching out as a presence of love with permission for whatever his next step is might be the very presence of love that gives him a hand back to life, 
you never know what direction that's going to go. Right. So, yep. so holding and a space he, to breathe through that one. Yeah, so that he can see himself as the depth of the ocean and not just that little bit of foam on the tip of the wave, like all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, blessings. Breathing with you. Thank you. Blessings. And Aria's guest right. is on its way uh, today, hopefully. Oh, well, she'll be thrilled. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, text Eugenie on the incidentals. I wasn't able to get to the Christmas sale this year, so fortunately I gathered some little trinkets and little special things that I liked, my little girl liked, right? And hopefully there will be something that will resonate for her. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Keep... All right. Ah. Blessings. Keep, keep Holding trucking. the space. Okay. Bye-bye. Yep. Holding the space. All right. Take care. Such a huge issue to uh, let go of the emotional attachments that we have to people to be able to uh, offer the, you know, one of the things that the presence of actual human life love offers to others is liberty to move into one's own choices. Remember, oh, back about 20 years ago, we had a woman in intensive who was in her 70s. And her son, she lived in Missouri, and her son was a truck driver, and he was somewhere out in California, somewhere out west, and had an accident, was killed. And she got in a car and drove out there to the scene where the accident occurred. And she actually found a shirt that belonged to him. This had been years before the intensive. And she, like, held onto that shirt like it was, like it was him. It was like, her link to him and in the intensive and I don't remember how many years later but many years later in the intensive she was doing a mind shifter that brought up her son's passing and as she was writing her son took over her hand and wrote to her asking her to get rid of that shirt because by holding on to it, she was locking, making him earthbound. So he actually wrote in, as she was doing a mind shifter that brought up his passing, wrote and asked her to get rid of it and liberate him, free him, because he was actually, that energy was keeping him locked into the earth and he couldn't go on to his next step. Just feedback. And my offering is that when someone passes, our pain is not about their passing. Our pain is about what's unresolved in us about death itself or what's unresolved in us with that person. And when we resolve that, the pain disappears. And it turns into sweetness.
So holding a space for you to have sweetness at every instant of your life for the rest of eternity. Appreciating you for being with us. Blessings. Bye-bye.